All right. Well, welcome to uh, the first Millennial Idiots uh, YouTube slash podcast. Uh, today with us, we have a bunch of millennials. So we got Jacob, we got Craig, we got Josh. Um, we're coming to you from all over. I'm in Denver. We got Craig out in uh, Santa Monica. We got Jacob in Traverse City. We got Josh in Portland. Ironically, all grew up in the same tiny little town uh, in Michigan. And we got back together to talk about our millennial experience, uh, particularly when it comes to financial and wealth building things. Um, so this should hopefully be super fun. And we're going to teach you guys how to be able to have avocado toast and purchase a house yeah. all in one. Cause we know Dave Ramsey doesn't like our avocado toast calling you out, Dave. Um, so um, what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about some just uh, financial um, investments, if you will, or just financial decisions, um, you know, that we have previously made or currently making or are about to make and kind of hear us, uh, each of our opinions on those financial decisions. So um, that's exciting. So what I want to do is I want to pass it over to Josh to kind of talk about, uh, you know, our recent financial decisions they made and um, some of the thoughts around it and some of our disagreeing and agreeing opinions uh, around their choice um, of that financial decision. So Josh, um, take it away for us. All right. So Probably the biggest financial decision we've made, um, like, you know, any other millennial or couple, you know, me and my wife chose to buy a house in Portland, Oregon, or more specifically not in Portland, Oregon, but uh, in the suburbs uh, due to the very, very high cost of living in the West Coast. Um, this was in December 2019. So like a couple months before COVID hit. Um Right before shit hit the fan. Right before. Yeah. And it was probably not the most sound like by the book financial decision because like we actually didn't um, save up 20% to get that, uh, that sweet spot that everyone tells you to, to put 20% down. Um, we jumped in a little bit before using kind of like a, a more fancy bank of America loan. Okay. Um that kind of they they pay for the PMI because I'm a healthcare provider. It's like a it's called like a doctor loan. That's a big, that's a nice structure though. Yeah, yeah. And they what they do is basically try to get you in through that and then entice you to do all your banking, all your business, all your stuff through them. Um, which they did not succeed in doing because <laughs> like the only experience I've ever had for them is like terrible. Besides the really, really nice uh, customer service person from, I can't remember her name, but she was from Tennessee. And I was like, this is the Tennessee, exact Tennessee, if you remember this, Josh Smith, super uncommon name. You helped him in Portland, Oregon. We want a shout out because you're a great customer service, Bank of America. <laughs> yeah, so so we bought a house in December 2019 after renting and renting and renting and renting. And I just like, I did not want to share walls <laughs> with like anyone else. Oh, okay. We, so that was your reason. You didn't go in your own space. Yeah. Own space, like no walls. If we want to yell, we can yell. If we want to not hear any neighbor children, then we don't have to, cause they don't share walls with us. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just like a homebody. I just want to stay at home. Like I, so how long were you in Portland before you made that decision? You wanted to buy a house, uh, a year. So just under a year actually. Yep. So that's like, also like probably not super wise. It's like, that sounds pretty good. Let's, <sighs> let's sign up for 30 years. Do you think rental rates in your market played a factor in you wanting to get a house? Um, How do you feel like your rental rates were? Were you getting what you wanted for a good price? Yeah, I mean, we, we were renting like a 700 square foot apartment, not in the city, like 
a little bit farther out than we are now. And it was like $1,600 a month. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind sharing, what's your, rough, what's your rough mortgage? So the mortgage, the monthly payment is uh, $2,400 a month, mm-hmm. which is like pretty steep. Uh, but again, with the lack of down payment, um, you know, it's going to be. But because we have fairly high incomes, it kind of is just like a cash flow thing. You know, Josh, like, remind we, us what you do for a living so everybody knows here. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm a dentist. Um, I work for a nonprofit in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, and my wife works in construction, uh, construction management. Nice. Okay. So, you know, we were 20, 28, 29 at the time. Um, so I started my career like really, really late because of all my training. So we didn't have as much of a nest egg worked up. Um, so yeah, I just didn't have, just didn't have the cash sitting around for the old 20%. Did you have any long-term goals or other advantages you saw? And, and obviously Jacob or Craig, if you guys want to interrupt, you guys know, if anyone's watching this for the first time, you realize I'm the blabber and the one with a bunch of questions, but I'm just super curious of like, did you have any other long-term goals or things you could do or leverage you could create by owning a property versus running or did um, that not come into play? Yeah. Well, the, the more I thought about it, I, I looked at stuff, you know, on Reddit, online, on forums, blah, blah, blah. And something that kind of caught my eye was um, like, if you own your house and then you sell it at some time for, you know, the same amount you bought it for, it's essentially living rent-free compared to renting. It's like money that you will hope to get back, like ideally. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing it started to make me feel like I was throwing money away by renting. Yeah. Um, well, I would jump. I think you have to look at your rental costs compared to, I mean, like you said, the principal is fine as long as you get it back. Um, but your, your housing costs, you know, the real costs are your, your interest, your taxes and your property insurance, and probably a little bit more for maintenance, um, which is something you generally don't have to worry about as much in an apartment. So do you, yeah. have a, you know, have a guess of what your of your twenty four hundred mortgage right now? Obviously, you're paying more interest relative to principal, and that changes as the loan amortizes. But for like right now, do you know how much of that twenty four hundred is interest versus principal? Um, I I did the first like couple months, but I kind of got lazy and I was I got depressing looking at how much money was not going to the actual like yeah. payment of the asset, and then it's just the interest. So, so for what it's worth to that, Josh, I, I took a very similar route for mine, and but I only put 3% down. When I got what's called an FHA loan, I don't, I'll be full transparent. I don't fully understand <laughs> the loan that we got. And I'm sure hopefully Craig, if you guys don't know, is uh, the more detailed real estate person here. But the way I was told this is, is it's like a first time home buyer's uh, ability to get a loan. And there it comes with some stipulations, but I'll tell you, because it was disheartening when I looked at the end of my first year, I only paid $600 per month to my principal. So that means for me, $1,200 a month was to not towards my principal. I also did not get PMI covered. Yeah. And how much was your PMI as a percentage of your loan? I would, I would have to check that Craig or yeah. send you my uh, mortgage. Um, and guys, this is why we started Millennial Idiots, right? Like, I'm happy to understand, and I can give my <laughs> personal reasons why I think my house is a great idea. 
but I also want smarter people to tell me why it's not. So this is why I wanted Josh to kind of talk about his awesome thing. And I, I think it's super interesting because we took similar routes with at least not 20%, but I think I'm getting hit a little bit harder because Josh was a little bit smarter on his structure than I was. Well, I, I would say, you know, I had more advantages rather than I was smarter, but okay. But what I don't know for sure, I think I know the answer, but PMI has not been around forever, right? Right. Like, what does that? What does it even stand for? Uh, PMI is private mortgage insurance. Oh, is that uh, is that a result of the financial crisis of like 08? No, it, it existed before that. Before, before that? Yeah, uh, it was part of the formation of you know, a lot of mortgages, I guess, in the U.S. exist in the way they do today because there's these government agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac on the back end, who do a lot to provide credit enhancement and or buy mortgages um, and often repackage them and sell them again as bonds, which was like the whole financial crisis was related to some of that activity. Um, but really at that time, I think just bad borrowing standards and less so about there being a, a secondary market. But PMI is money that you're paying that ensures default to the eventual you know, bondholders in the future basically. So you're paying for someone else's essentially potential loss uh, who's going to end up owning your mortgage. That's what your PMI is paying for. That's an interesting... Uh... Very good. Enough. So, so I don't need to get into mind. So I'm very interested, Josh, when you got yours, did you and your wife get the, lo- get the mortgage together? We did. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting because we we don't have the same last name. We have different last names. Um, and our loan agent was, he was like very, very busy and also like was not a big like checker of facts. So I think to this day, according to Bank of America, um, me, my name, Josh Smith, am a female for part of their uh stuff that they used to track like demographic data because we i saw it like after we signed everything and there's like a couple papers where my my sex was wrong got it okay i love that so what's our tax our property tax bills come to we bought our house from uh barb and ernest and um my wife's name is megan and our property tax bills come to Megas, Megan and Ernest Brulette. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But. Yes. So clearly there's no inefficiencies in purchasing yeah. real estate or government issues. Um, no, like this. Jo- so Josh, and if anybody has any other questions, we'll keep going. I'm curious, is this the house? Did Is this your house when you bought it or at least in your current stage of life that this is the only house you want to purchase? Do you want to use this house as leverage or this asset as leverage for any fund investments in the future? What is your kind of game plan or structure with the house? I guess as it currently stands, because as we know, um, I think one cool advantage, if you guys have not been looking in houses, Josh bought it at a phenomenal time. Because right (laughs) now, it's not easy to get a house. They're very expensive. So I'm just curious, Josh, what your future thoughts are, because I know they can change next year, say in six months or three months. What are your thoughts with this house? Live and die in it, have it, get a second house, leverage it. What's your game plan? Uh, I think ideally the game plan long-term was to not have the house payment um, or a house payment when we retire. So 
30 years from now, even if we get a different house, uh, you know, upgrade, downgrade, whatever, we would use whatever we put in the house, whatever we sell it for towards the next residence. I guess yep. I, that, I just think of it as like residence. Like this is my, like some people do like the envelope method for like keeping money. This is my residence envelope um, and it's going to stay in that. Yep. So for 30 years and then if you wanted to do something after, you can use this to help yeah. you get whatever's after. Or hopefully, like if we are here for 15 years, sorry, I'm getting a lot of reverb real quick on me. Um, if, if in 15 years we buy a new house, hopefully we would be able to put whatever we sell this current house at uh, into the new one. And then we can do a 15 year loan and get a like, you know, less length to get that 30 years of paying for a residence yeah. taken care of. And last question, if you were to get another residence at this stage in your life, where would it be? Oh, um, let's see. I thought Portland was pretty good for like climate change until I got to be like 118 degrees a couple of weeks ago. So I, I want to say somewhere even farther, like, I don't know, out of the way for summer, maybe like Montana. I think it'd be cool. I'm not sure. a big beach person. You know, I don't need to go to California, Florida. I have some great price houses in a different country for you. What, what country is that? Costa Rica. Oh, Costa Rica. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of beaches there, though. There's a lot of beaches, but I'll tell you, climate change may be messing up. Arizona, Portland, Washington <laughs> is 85 degrees in Costa Rica. It was 85 last year. It was 85 the year before. <laughs> it was 85 degrees. Cool. Uh, no, I, I did um, yeah. How much? How did you decide how much you were willing to spend on the house for your, your total price? And I guess follow-up question, did you buy a house um, – when you were looking that you wanted to be able to do some work to um, improvements yourself or house was already finished. Yeah. So we wanted to Ready stay to under two times our combined annual income. Mm. Um, and our like hard rules war where it has to have at least two toilets. Um, doesn't have to be like two full baths, but like two toilets, um, air conditioning. And I mean the market in, Oregon is so hard or in Portland so hard. Like that was our only, this is what we need. Mm. Um, and we did, we did find a house that was check those, you know, couple boxes and it was actually a new build. So there's not a whole lot to do in terms of repair. Um, but we've done like some minor additions. Mm. Um, Elisa's a lot more handy than I am. Like she's put in like a, a laundry tub in the garage and like plumbed it herself. Um, she's rewired some of the, stuff for like um hardwiring in this computer that's like the front of the house the wi-fi would be bad up here so just like improvements yeah. um homeowner stuff yeah not like, not like value add stuff necessarily yeah yeah, yeah. not yet i mean we're, we have some like landscaping stuff that we want to do um but i don't know i was kind of hoping i could lean on some of you guys for ideas and yeah how did you stuff. decide on the two the 2x income rule Meaning your purchase price to make sure I understood that your purchase price was less than two X your your combined gross income. Yeah, um, I think I saw some like the the general rules are like you want less than three X. Um, that might be wrong. I can't remember. It's two X or three X. So what I saw and I just thought like yeah that's that's a good rule. You know you want to keep your cash flow um, 
not super, super tight. Um, so if you need to restock the emergency fund, stuff like that. What do you think? Uh, do you know what your debt to income was? My debt to that, income. that ratio, the, the loan officers always going to want to know and calculate. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. Um, it was funky at the time. So like I have a lot of student loans, um, but I'm trying to go for the 10 year forgiveness thing. So like my strategy that was like minimize monthly payments as much as possible. And it'll be forgiven um, down the road. And I can't remember how they calculated that. Um, I think it was based on what my monthly payments were for like the last year of the student loan, which was like not a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is interesting in that I don't know exactly how they would look at that when you have a situation where you don't, if you don't make the, do you have to make any payment for the forgiveness or, or is it income-based? It's, yeah, it's income-based. And since we've been married, it's, it's gone up quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, but it's still on um, deferment from COVID. So, and I like, I've tried to log in and look and they haven't like calculated um, or told me what the new payment is going to be which is kind of kind of scary because the the feds don't even, they haven't even like really told us when like repayments are going to start yet. Yeah. So it's like, it could be September, could be January, could be next March. Yeah. We don't have Jake on the call. Jake obviously would be dealing with the DTI stuff all the time. Um, yeah. You know, I think you start reaching your max. I've, I've heard different things, 43%, 46%, you know, definitely you're not going to, I don't think qualify for many loans if you're over 50%. And, here, generally, you want to be under, you want to be in the 30% range. Um, I guess in the, in the rental market, the guidance for when somebody be rent burdened, they're spending more than 30% of their gross income on rent. Um, it's the typical definition for a rent burden. Hmm. Meaning, Craig, that if I make $50,000 a year, you're saying I could qualify, I should maybe look at a house for $100,000? My debt. Uh, I was just making an analogy There's a similar calculation in that uh, people are concerned about how much income is allocated towards housing. I guess I just um, mean explaining debt to income. I, if I make 50K and I have 100K in debt, my debt to income would be 50%. It's the payment. So it's the cash flow. Okay. So it's not as much as the total loan, as much as it is the cash flow per month versus my payment. Right. Okay. Right. A bank is cool. a bank will give you a better interest rate and feel more secure with you as a buyer when you have more income to pay your obligations rather than less. Yeah, I guess um, I'm just shocked at how then technically we qualified for a house. <laughs> well, it's crazy because um, at the time I was only paying like a couple hundred bucks per month for my student loans, and if they would have asked for like, hey, what's the raw number? Like, how much student loans do you do you own? It's like 330K, which is more than when I graduated because of my like strategy to basically try not to pay it. Right. And have it be free. Um, but yeah, the, the month of payment is chump change. Yeah. Yeah, it's just wild. Okay. No, I love this. Um, Josh, who do we got next? Uh, let's go to let's go to Sam. Let's go to you, my friend. Boom. Okay. Um, I'm Sam. So just so you guys know kind of what I do for a living, start businesses. Um, I have a gym in Colorado. I have a marketing company and a consulting company. So um, that's how I kind of earn my income. And 
uh, I'm actually looking to make a fun financial decision that I like talking to this group about. Um, and I'm looking to buy a commercial building for my gym business that I own. Um, so technically my gym business would be buying that. I do have two other partners in that business. Um, so we have a 20% owner and then two 40% owners, a 40% owner. And we've had the business for five years, um, survived COVID. And there's a lot of cool opportunities right now to buy commercial buildings and look into that. And I think there's a couple of reasons that personally we want to. Um, I'm excited to get asked some of these detailed questions because part of the reason that I want to do it is I look at it as a great hedge against my future. Um, so I may not look at this building the same way, but since we can move in with a renter right away, um, one of the reasons that we would want to move in with, you know, get it is I already know that we can cover a certain amount of mortgage for my gym business that I run. So that makes a good advantage. One, to get a building two to make sure I have the cash flow to, to keep this asset going. Um, two, let's say shit hits the fan and my business doesn't survive or my gym business goes under is I have a commercial building that I can run out. I can make money from. Uh, and again, I own an asset. I'm also in Denver. Um, so it would be in South Denver or Denver that I would own the commercial real estate. And, and then lastly, it's super, I've learned there's a lot of different advantages to owning an asset and businesses when you have a relationship with the bank. So uh, one of the, like selfish advantages of all like owning the building and the business is I can remodel it and design it any way that like essentially my city would allow. Um, I don't have to deal with the landlord um, as far as payments go or increasing rents. And, you know, I'm in control of that with owning both businesses that are involved. Um, obviously there'll be numbers that we go by. And then the other one is just having more leverage in my portfolio for the future. And I think that's something that I found advantageous that I think up until this commercial building, I did not realize banks will, my net worth is given towards my business. I know this seems stupid to say, but like until you apply for like commercial loan, you don't really ever look at your net worth. I guess when you're an entrepreneur or in this early stages of being an entrepreneur, because you're not rolling in the dough. But when I like went to apply for it and I put my businesses on paper and the bank valued my net worth, it was really cool to see like, oh shit, I have a lot more value than it feels like on paper. So adding a commercial asset to that portfolio is like, damn, next time I go to ask for a loan or want to, you know, generate, do something or grow something, I have an ability to do so because I have some other, you know, asset or proof of worth that I can leverage. Um, so those are a couple of the reasons are j just for what it's worth. We're looking in the range of one to, you know, $1.5 million, hopefully not having to max out. And we're getting roughly a three to 6,000 square foot building. Um, yeah, what kind of it? Yeah. What kind of interest rate do you get on a commercial real estate loan? So, like, even that would be a better question for Chase. Um, so, my business partner is kind of handling a lot of those things. Where I, where I more come in is like, what is the work that's going to be need to be done to the building for us to kind of access it? Um, what other available tenants would exist? So, Chase would have kind of what real or what um, interest rate? I bet Craig could rip that right off the top of his head. To be honest, yeah, what a typical, typical commercial real commercial estate, estate interest rate is. Yeah, our, our loans um, most recently have been in the uh, similar to home mortgages, very low right now, um, historically. But yes, yeah, so we're in the below 3% to high twos. I think we have recently closed a couple of things on smaller multifamily buildings. 
in the high, you know, like a two eight five or two nine percent range. Um, more typical would be something like three two five, three point two five percent as an interest rate. <coughs> And then typically um, there's a balloon payment, right, Craig? Yeah. Uh, so like I said, there's the whole secondary market um, for mortgages is one of the one of the things that helps there be these super long uh, mortgages, which are tough to hold on balance sheets. Uh, you have a lot more lenders, commercial lenders, where they're going to be holding the loan on their balance sheet. There's a secondary market, of course, too, for commercial mortgages. But um, a lot of smaller lenders are going to be um, balance sheet lenders. Um, so they're gonna give you usually a loan that has an interest rate that's either fixed for only three to five years, and you might have a total of like a 10 year term. Um, so a common loan we would get would be two five year terms for a total 10 year you know, lifetime alone. Um, and we'll have an interest rate reset after five years. Yeah. Usually those are named as some base rate for the spread. So you'd hear like, um, in the East Coast, like the Federal Home Loan Bank of Boston, um, plus 2% or something for your resale. So there's more to negotiate too in commercial loans. You really can dig in on a lot of different aspects. Um, what's your loan to value? Um, what percentage of your property are you gonna be able to finance? Cause that will also be a lot lower than when you talk about houses. So not basically the difference of my down payment, like what are we not gonna be able to put down? So yeah. 10 to 15% is what we'll be able to put down. So you have a loan that's in the 85% range. Yep. Or your purchase price. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and I love these questions because I, it really makes me like understand like there's, you know, deeper things I dive into for whatever it's worth. Basically what we do is once somebody shows us a property, we get relatively told what the monthly payment would be. And so that, I guess that's the number that I key in on is like, what am I going to have to come out of pocket each month? And I'm sure I'll learn as I step through this process, like there's other numbers. So like when Jacob asked, like, oh, what's the interest rate? I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, I guess I've just looked at like, they're just telling they're me like, I'm going to need to pay $4,800 a month. So I'm like, so all right, all right. Got that got all day, day till the end of time, the time that I can that think I can. of. So, so that's where that's I kind of look at it. There was some advantages um, actually early on where some loans due to COVID, you don't have, uh, they won't do a balloon payment. Now those are, those are all through the SBA right now and they're kind of hard to get a hold of because they seem backed up. But I'm interested if you heard about that at all, Craig, where uh, the SBA is kind of offering super friendly commercial loans right now for businesses. No, I don't know about it from the business side. Um, okay. So I don't think that's the type of loan my company, for example, would ever be able to use. Um, we're going with more traditional lenders, um, not the SBA. Well, Sam, I, I have a yeah. question. So this is how I imagine you and Chase started talking about this. You were writing a check for your monthly rent and you're like, Chase, why the hell aren't we paying ourselves to rent our space? Like we just need to buy the stupid building. Is that more or less like how it went? Yeah, I would say like that's 99% of the way my conversations would start or like the way I'll generate a business. It's like, you, I just start complaining about something. <laughs> and then, you know, if I have the ability to solve, because I complain about a lot of stuff I don't have, you know, the ability to solve. And we'll get into those conversations, I'm sure, later on, millennial idiots. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. First of all, let me lay you down the way we have to pay rent. It's the dumbest thing on earth, right? And I will, 
my landlord, you can hear this because I don't care your trash, my guy, uh, your dog water, as they say nowadays. So first of all, you have to write a, a physical check already pissed off, already makes me mad. Anyone uses physical checks, you're trash, quit whatever you do, and your business is going to be dead in 10 years because you write checks. So like you suck. Second, you have to drive it to the building and physically drop it off each month. If I don't, if you couldn't tell me how I know a business is garbage faster than that, like that's how you take payment. You haven't figured out an easier way to let people give you money. Like it's a ridiculous idea. So that's one massive reason we're not big fans, right? And two, they told us that the across from us, they owned the building that Walmart was in when we bought, when we got the space, they didn't own the building and Walmart left a year into our business. So mm. like, yes, Josh, I absolutely was complaining about this. And I was like, we should absolutely pay ourselves to do this. This makes no sense that we would pay somebody else. And it's like, like I look at risk super weird, right? Probably the, the way people shouldn't look at it. But to me, it's far riskier that they have no obligation. Sure, we could do, we can write a, we have a guaranteed first refusal, right? Or whatever in our lease, but they could offer us just a ridiculous, you know, rent. They could just make our life hard like they have. So to me, it's like, it's like a lot of people during this pandemic that are salaried workers that have great jobs. Like that seems super risky to me that somebody else at any given time could just say like, I don't need to pay you anymore. You're gone. And so when I look at my like business with my gym and I've seen it with a few other gym owners, like when the lease is up, if the terms weren't set properly, mind you, I set my lease when maybe I was 22 years old or 23 years old. I knew, I still know absolutely nothing, right? I knew less than like, I don't feel in control there. And so I feel like each time, if I can level up my ability to have control of what is going to drive my income, like that helps me. So like, for example, I hired a marketing company our first two years of business. Now I now own a marketing company. I get my marketing company gets paid from my gym to market for my gym. And so I would say, yeah, that's like a really, that's probably like my number one philosophy and philosophy and entrepreneurship is like, if you're complaining about something, you probably, it's probably a problem you need to solve. If you can pay yourself to solve the problem even better. Um, but sometimes it's just like, it's not the same thought I would imagine a lot of people on this call would take. Uh, one follow-up question to, to maybe the group. When was the last time you were stuck at a grocery store because someone was writing a physical check and how old was that woman? Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. hundred percent. Was her no, name? So, was her name? It's so a funny thing in the, in the real estate industry. Um, yeah, there's, this huge push for, for like fintech companies um, to, to try to bring things into the real estate business because traditionally real estate has been resistant to change and very resistant to technology. So companies requiring checks are, are still everywhere. And surprisingly, in some places, people prefer checks. Um, you know, we've been making a big push to try to get more tenants onto ACH, um, but there's not 100% adoption in any market. I think there's the lowest adoption ACH payments in, uh, in California. Uh, a, it's still funny when you, drive, when you drive, drive around near the first of the month here, there's lines, you know, going around the corner in every bank uh, for people to go in there and get their money order to pay their rent or whatever. So it's, there's still some funny things. 
Um, but yeah, it cracked me up. The ACH payments was one of the first things to grind your gears <laughs> about being a tenant. Yes. <laughs> first of all, yes. I check. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Like I started a business and like the first rule of thumb is accept every single form of payment you can possibly accept. Like, why are you going to make it hard for someone to give you money? That seems like a bad way to start a business. Like, it just seems ridiculous. But how, we can how get many it. physical checks did you receive, Sam? In my business? Yeah. But maybe two. Like literally <laughs> in, in, in my answer. And I'll 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 take them, <laughs> but I'm not gonna fucking require it. Like, like, ah, you have a fucking Amex black card. Sorry, sir. I'm gonna need you to write me a check. Like, you ridiculous that sounds like it's just <laughs> it's just so stupid. I have a bank account probably at the same bank they have. Just let me give you money from my bank. It's the same money. It's and there's a there's a there's a record of it. Like wait, I need a paper trail. There's a digital record of it. Yeah, to be fair, uh, our accounts payable <laughs> still pays all of our vendors with check. You're trash, my guy. <laughs> Your dog water. <laughs> Send them Ethereum. They'll be happier. Uh, let me ask you a couple more questions about your lease. How long yes. was your first term of your lease? Five years. And then did you, five and years with some of, weird extent with, with some weird stuff involved. Where you, like, some, you 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 as the tenant had some options to extend. Yeah. So like right when COVID happened, they gave us a deal. They were like, uh, if you do two months, we'll add four months to the lease. If you want two months off. Oh, two months of free rent for four months on the back end. Yep. I got you. So we took it. Um, for stupid. your rent reset, you was it right after? I'm sorry, for your rent it. reset, was it a market reset, or was your reset a flat percentage, or was it a percentage tied to CPI? What was your rent reset mechanism? And when you mean by that is like the rate we were going to pay for those months that added on. Well, was your lease ending after five years, or was your rate just resetting after five years? Our lease was ending after five years. Oh, okay. It was a very poorly done lease. Yeah. They got everything they wanted. I got all the wrong stuff that didn't matter. Well, that's, that's kind of true for like any lease, I feel like. It is, but like, so like, I don't know, when I was negotiating, the things I thought I was negotiating that mattered didn't matter. And so they gave me all of them. So I thought I won the whole thing. Like, did I don't know. Have, Go ahead. Did you have a broker or a counsel who reviewed your lease for you when you're signing it? I had an associate lawyer at a law firm that my cousin knew because we didn't have any money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I'm happy, like, man, I probably lost 20, 25 grand on that lease just in stupid wording or not adding certain things that we could have added or negotiating our rent raise per year, certain things like that. Like right now they're trying to rent space in our building cheaper than we pay and they won't re-up us cheaper than we pay. So I'm yeah, like, well, get, I'm like, fuck, we're the, we're also the, like, we're the busiest tenant in the plaza. So like, there's no other business that drives traffic. So I'm like, you'd think that would matter. It doesn't. They don't care. Yeah, well, your option, of course, is always if you don't agree with the rate you can buy the space or to rent the space at, you rent elsewhere. For sure. And what's funny is one of the spaces we're looking to buy is neck is a plaza across the street. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're uh, you know, they're, what they're hoping is that your switching costs are so high that you prefer to not incur the switching costs and to pay a higher lease. For sure. They just so underestimate my stubbornness. Your, your trade-off, yeah. I'll, I'll eat a, as much time as I want. To not did have you have to personally guarantee your lease? We did. Yeah. 
bid to personally guarantee our lease and our original loan. Are you personally guaranteeing uh, your commercial real estate loan? No. So we don't. That's nice. They haven't required us to personally guarantee our loans. So we paid off our first loan. And once our lease is up, we won't have to. Well, in theory, we don't have any personal guarantees out after that. So the LLC will guarantee the loan or it's just based purely on the property, just an asset based loan. I guess I would have to find out once it's all written. Yeah. Um, How are you, is the, is your gym LLC buying the property or is the property LLC buying the property and your gym LLC will be a tenant that pays rent? So the way we were, it was explained to us is we have to have our gym LLC buy it because we don't have any other, they don't have any other history. So yeah. we started one, they, they wouldn't like, like the underwriters wouldn't care is what we were told. Mm-hmm. So honestly, a big part of why they told us they're giving us the money is that our numbers during COVID, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. It, and I don't know if that's going to be a unique thing going forward, but it seemed to secure our business a little bit further than like, we had an $800,000 a year, which to me, I'm like, that seems pretty dope. Like that's a lot of money to make in a year, in my opinion, in a 2,700 square foot gym. And they didn't really want to play ball with us. And then, you know, we survived COVID and I don't know, minus our, I mean, at our PPP loan, we probably made money at the end of the year. And so it seems like that, which I didn't think those things mattered, like that nuanced situation is playing a larger role in in funding through institutions, which I think is pretty cool. Like, I, I like that. I think it does make sense. Like we're less of a risk if during a pandemic we can make our payments you know yeah yes your lender has faith in the business which that's nice yeah because do you have a sense of what your cost will be so including you know all the buildings really this you know in both cases owning a business owning a um the property they occupy and same for like home buyers when you think of like the buy versus rent um it's sort of a similar thing where it's like well i can own the home for this what can i rent somewhere space for even more clear, I think, on the business side. Um, so, because, so what do you think your rent versus your ownership costs are going to be? So the only uh, thing is the same more or less. The same or less, be- mainly because we haven't seen rent prices like, like what we thought were both commercial real estate and rent prices would drop after the pandemic, especially in the size we that we didn't. That does not seem to be the case for renting space right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for what the reason, the rumors that there's a lot of larger asset companies that bought these commercial spaces just to rent them out at the same price and be able to wait. Um, but I don't know for what reason why rent prices didn't drop with businesses going out of business. But um, so we basically don't, we wouldn't get a building if we would have pay, if we would have to pay higher than market rent for our total expenses. Yeah. So you're, 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 you think you can buy a building and keep it at market, which is good. Yeah. And then the question, the only other question is for that 15%, what else could you have done with that for your business instead of owning a property, mm-hmm. which is always the trade-off Yeah. for, for mean, rent versus buy? Yeah. Because that's what, if you're buying a, you, you, you're thinking of a property around a million dollars you were sending? Yeah, so 150000 So what else could you do with 150000 And that's a great, you know, like... I think the way I look at it is 150,000 could be fast cash that could generate some energy in my business now, but like 150 put towards, you know, the responsibility of a long-term asset 
is more security. I just look at it as more security. Assets are security. Cash is not. Yeah, you're you're buying yourself future certainty in what your expenses are. Yeah. So long as you're budgeting correctly for the capital needs of your building, you know, the physical improvement needs of the building. Yeah. Your new new uncertainty is in your current lease, even though the landlord wants you to make you pay for the HVAC, you don't have to, you don't think because of your lease term. You own the building, you will have to pay for it when the bad thing happens. Hundred percent. And and I guess like I guess the best way for me to look at it is like a big part of my philosophy is like, until you hit like a a different point, cash doesn't seem to matter, at least in like the business world. Like you having cash on hand doesn't seem to give you the same amount of leverage as like an asset on hand or your ability to generate revenue. And so like anytime we have excess cash, I kind of look at like, what is an additional thing we can add to the businesses or my personal portfolio that -hmm. allows that to leverage for the future? Because, you know, like, and I'll move on after this because I want some other people to talk. But like, it was really weird when we were buying my house. I make a decent amount of money and my wife makes a nominal salary. And she was the one that had to qualify for a house telling me that the cash I produced did not matter because they believed her lesser cash was more secure than my cash I was generating. My cash was on paper. It was for over two years. It did not matter the amount of cash I was generating. I was a higher risk on the loan because I owned the business I was generating cash from. And I found that very interesting because I know there's going to be a tipping point or there is when you have enough cash, you can get whatever you want. But it seems to me like when I look at my business, when our bank account looks a certain way, you know, it's, it's very interesting the way cash is judged. So I try to immediately put that cash to use by whatever means necessary. Yeah, it's sort of a funny thing in the mortgage industry, just like the, uh, there's so much of it is just box checking. You know, it's regulatory and it's box checking. So yeah. W2 income, great. Any other income, sketchy. Um, yeah. And it's so black and white. It shouldn't be, of course, but, yeah. um, but up to it, a point, it, it definitely shrinks your pool of lenders up to a point. I don't know. Because, you know, like if I would have said, hey, I'm making $550,000 a year, they're like, oh, well, shit, I don't care what you do. You know, so I think that's what that's why maybe I haven't held enough cash or made enough cash to have a different philosophy on it. But immediately, can I or like, honestly, if if the same amount of one hundred and fifty thousand we could put into this thing, if we didn't have the opportunity for a property, I would honestly put one hundred and fifty grand into marketing for my company. And I would try to grow the company like it would not sit idle in my bank account. Because I don't believe that it's going to make my business better. I want to be able to say these next three months, I generated X amount of more dollars. If my cash flow increased, then it, that's what matters in my book in every light, whether it's the same business or starting another one. Yeah. You, but, believe, um, in your, you believe in your revenue generating potential. You don't need as much. So you, you don't think it's that useful to um, have like some money for a down cycle. I mean, was your gym business cyclical or were you fairly steady throughout? Oh no, very simple. The year, very cyclical. But in the down months, you still had enough revenue that you covered your expenses. Sometimes. (laughs) You know, I mean, yes. I mean, yes, always, right? Like we had enough, we made, but we didn't always like produce, you know, more than our expenses that month. We had cash left over or, or again, like I took less cash. Like that's the harsh reality of the first two to to three years of the business was like, I just wouldn't get paid. But Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I don't know. It's a bad way to look at it. I mean, a lot of people, like if anybody else is like me and like super risky, you'll probably like the way I think about stuff. But what a lot of people see as risk, I don't. 
like in like you said, I guess my revenue generating potential is what I rely on. Like I remember talking to Jacob, COVID happened. I started another business in the middle of COVID rather than like find more secure income. And I realized that just, that was a weird way to think about it. Um, but I'm excited. I want to talk about, let's, let's pass it on Jacob. Um, Jacob has some interesting uh, investments, upgrades, things they have made and uh, fun to talk about. So Jacob will tell you all about himself and what he does. Yeah. So this is going to be much more modest than buying a million <laughs> to a million and a half dollar commercial property. But um, we recently uh, had some landscaping done at our house. Um, so what we did was um, we, we've been describing it as actually de-landscaping. Um, we wanted to take out a bunch of the landscaping beds that the previous owners had. Um, and so they, they did that, um, moved some trees uh, and uh, redid mulch around our house um, and uh, like planted new grass where they had torn stuff down and had added a zone to our irrigation system. Um, the reason we wanted to do this is a few reasons. Uh, one, just a lot less maintenance. We weren't into maintaining all the landscaping that they had. Uh, two, uh, we think it will be uh, just really nice for when we have kids or just having people over to have a nice open yard um, rather than a smaller yard with a bunch of stuff in the way. Um, and then kind of on the same vein as being easier to maintain uh, lawn mowing, it will be more area to mow, but uh, less stuff to steer around. So I think it'll actually go faster and be easier. How much, how much yard are we talking about acreage wise? I have somewhere around 0.6 acres. Okay. Not a ton, but plenty for our purposes. Right um, on lower, push. Right on. Zero time. I actually pay someone to do it now. I haven't yeah. bought the ride on mower, but that is definitely what the plan will be. So you pay, oh, you, are you, you're thinking of switching from a pay for service to owning your own machine? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Next year we won't pay for it anymore. That was the best chore growing up. I remember my dad, we had a riding lawnmower, we had like four acres and I wasn't even big enough to like set the, the seat down to get like the auto shut off to turn off so he just put a big rock on it and i would like barely be able to touch the pedals and i just it was it was the funnest chore <laughs> to this day that's like my favorite chore <laughs> not chopping wood oh my god i hate chopping wood <laughs> saturday morning 7 a.m let's go chop some wood for don't six stay, hours don't stay at josh's house if you don't know <laughs> what happens the next day it's a bad idea um so so sorry i i was doing my typical thing and being distracted but i want to be clear so you are upgrading your landscape and do you believe it'll add value to your house or is that i know i you, you probably have mentioned that but is that is it a value add also a enjoyment add i kind of doubt it's a value add okay. um that is financially secondary and a nice bonus if so but we plan to be in this house for decades um and so it's mostly about uh getting the enjoyment out of the yard and having to dedicate less time to maintenance yeah um, we think that even if it doesn't add anything to the value um 
it'll be worth it for just enjoyment of life. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's kind of like, it's an investment, but just not a financial investment. It's like yeah. a, I don't know. You, you set a mental amount of like how much you guys can spend towards enjoyment-based investments or investments that are going to produce you cash for the long term. Like, do you have like a fun money? Not really. Um, I'll talk about the cost in a second, but for this one, it was, it was expensive, but it was pretty much a no brainer for us. We think that over the years, um, and the amount of time we'll save and the amount of enjoyment we'll get out of it. Um, it easily makes up for what the cost was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you sort of get to flex one of the muscles of home ownership, which is the customization aspect. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's, I guess it's worth flexing the muscles you have. Um, so you're going to work yeah. so hard to get the muscles. You got to show them off. Yeah. You want to show it off. Uh, um, that was not our motivation. Try sure hard is. to not He's a liar. Uh, be tempted to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but, oh, go ahead. Um, I'm trying to think. So you have a lot of lake effect rain and snow. So do you have to like water um, your lawn a lot? Or you mentioned that there are some watering lines up. Um, did you say that you added to that to keep it like growing throughout the summer? Um, so one of the, so we do run irrigation every day besides when there's like a, a big rain coming. Um, we get a lot of lake effect snow. I don't know so much about lake effect rain in the summer. Um, and so, yeah, the, they, they did add a new zone to our irrigation system. And that was not because the, the grass that we currently have needs it. It's because they cleared out a bunch of area where landscaping beds were and yeah. are planting grass. And so just to get coverage of the new area that will have grass. How much do you think that adds to your water bill? And are you on well water or are you on uh, municipal water? Municipal. And yeah, yeah it, it adds a lot. Um, it, in the, the winter when we're not running it, uh, our water bill is around 50 bucks a month. Um, in the summer, it shoots up to like 2.30. It adds a lot. Yeah. Grass is yeah. thirsty. I'll yeah. say I, I like uh, I like to go the other way. I'm a big fan of removing grass <laughs> um, and doing more drought tolerant landscaping. So the irrigation to grow grass, which is I guess enjoyable to roll around on, but not much else, is um, usually loses out in the calculation. Um, and so in many places where we own property, in particular Denver, uh, we've typically been removing grass where it exists and going to um, drought tolerant landscaping um it's also nice because low maintenance we don't have to mow it we don't have to water it um and it's really great if you can do drought tolerant stuff it's also good for butterflies and bees side bonus i think in la there's a program where they actually will pay you to get rid of your grass and do butterfly friendly landscaping which would be what uh native flat like flowers that are naturally drought tolerant because they're native 
Because, like, I'm in Denver and I don't have grass. I have what grows here. So I would assume I would fit in. <laughs> it is close. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely not ripping that shit out and putting grass in. No. No, you just let it go. You're, you're into the natural lawn. Yeah, it's, you know, it's good for the environment and stuff. Weeds, crabgrass, and dandelions. Yeah, all in there. Yeah. That's what nature wants. <laughs> um, it is kind of interesting, like, the, the different you know, values, financial versus non-financial. I feel like Jacob, you're probably maybe a little bit closer to like kids than um, I am. Well, for sure for me, but I don't know what Craig um, is planning. I, I got but, like, one already. Yeah. Sam has a little one, but I guess Sam's kids can have to roll around in the, the, the B field plot of, not grass. Hey, we're moving to Costa Rica. They got plenty of grass there. Yeah. I have sand. Yeah. <laughs> Close to the beach. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You guys are going to run out of water next year, so have fun drinking salt water, bro. Everyone needs to get rid of their grass out here. It's a problem. It's the damn grass. <laughs> um, okay, so cool. Jacob, did you tell everybody what you do to, so they know a little bit more about who you are? I work in insurance. I'm an actuary. Boom. Crunches numbers. I don't know what that means. I didn't for a while. Crunches them hard. So <laughs> bring any stats to us. We'll call bullshit if you have any, because we'll know they're bullshit. So bring them on. Um, Jacob, any other thoughts on who you are? No. Cool. He exists. That's good to know. Did, Wait, did um, this have something to do with your credit card plan, though? Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, there was oh. a whole other section I was going to get in. The cost of this, um, it was expensive. It was uh, around eight grand. Um, but do get multiple quotes. Um, that is the first company we got quoted from was like 10 grand higher. Um, so a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and the way we paid it was we had to pay half up front to even get on the schedule and then half afterwards. Um, and they finished within like the, the end of last week. And so we haven't actually been billed for the second half yet, but our plan for that is, um, not too long ago, I got a new credit card that has a big bonus for hitting $4,000 in the first three months. Um, and so, yeah, the plan is to, uh, pay that off with that credit card, get our big points bonus. Um, then, uh, me refer my wife for getting that same card. I get points for her getting approved for it. And then we can pretty much put everything on her card for the next few months and get the bonus for her too. Um, and then just have a big, uh, you know, a big bank of uh, credit card points that we can use to travel in the future. That's sexy. What brand is it? Amex Chase? What is it's it? It's Chase Sapphire Preferred. That's a sexy one. That goes a long way. So piece of advice from somebody that's not as good at this as everyone immediately go in and enroll for enroll in all the bullshit they offer. I don't know if you did that, but you can go to their website and like enroll in absolutely everything. Um, Cause I just got a new credit card, did the same thing. It just enrolled in absolutely everything. And the amount of free shit you get is awesome or cheap stuff. So like, you what get, like, kind of stuff are you talking about? So like I got like Hilton and Marriott gold status gold, uh, And you just have to enroll for it or like Hertz or rental car gold status. Uh, you can get like an airline credit for, you know, anything that might happen for a missed trip and you get to pick your airline. Um, there, you can uh, 
sign up for your credit cards, airport lounges. So like anywhere you go, you can stay in an airport lounge. There's just like, it was a bu- there's a bunch of those. There's like a private jet one uh, you can enroll in, which is ridiculous because they give you like a $4,000 discount. It's still completely unaffordable, but it's cool to think about. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And you just had to enroll for them. There's also like another seven things that like you just get with the card. But I've just been trying to play the credit card game. Ever. I'm just like, if I'm just keep spending money on shit, I want to get stuff like, like you did. I think that's a genius idea. You can. Hmm. We've been, we've been like circling around like this, the churning credit card conversation. Like, I feel like we've done this a couple of times. We're probably just gonna have to talk about it. Like we, do some research. <laughs> we will also, are you guys going to qualify the companion pass, Jacob? I don't know what that means. Usually get it because it's a partnership with Chase and Southwest. And you can shoot, you, like, it looks, it sounds like you guys would have been close to getting a companion pass where like you just, whoever gets it, the other person, you just make their companion and they fly for free anywhere they go in Southwest. That's the one I've been trying to hang on to. So if anybody's going to apply for another credit card, please let me know. It should be a Southwest Rapids Awards card. And let me refer you because it'll give my companion pass through 2022. Not anyone, anyone, but any one of these three people on this call. And trust me, what else? No, I like that. I think that makes those types of investments a lot easier, right, Jacob? Like, you know, it's like, hey, I'm not just getting this thing. I'm getting this thing with an additional reward that I'm most likely going to use in the future. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And like, we knew this, um, this expense was coming. And so might as well get like a free um, reward bonus for getting the spend that we need in the first few months. How many quotes did you end up getting? Just the two. It was difficult to get people to come out. Uh, all services seem to be swamped right now. Makes and sense. then it took forever any, uh... to actually get them to come do the work, like months. Yeah. Did you have any particularly tricky tree removal? Not really. It, it was all pretty easy. Um, there was one that they pointed out as being the most difficult, and that was a tall one that was close to the house, but even that didn't take so long. Mm-hmm. Do you have a before and after picture? Yeah. Not yet, but yeah, we, we did take the before. Just Plus that Molina idiots for everyone to see. Jacob's beautiful yard, maybe, if he approves. I can do that. It doesn't look so good right now with the grass not coming in yet, but yeah. A couple of weeks. How much more facade? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I have looked at that at one point and it was dramatically more expensive. Um, I don't remember exactly what, but. Did you ever think about getting um, like artificial turf instead of grass? <laughs> yes, I did. Genuinely, 100%. I'm like, I'm like pretty seriously considering it. Like if you, if you were to drive down a neighborhood, it's like either grass is dead, completely dead, or people are watering the crap out of it. And like part of their, their yard is like green, except for the one person has artificial turf, a couple houses down, beautiful, <laughs> just gorgeous. Perfect. <laughs> I thought about it, but then I just figured it would turn into a big pile of shit because my dogs would shit on it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the. Go event. something like uh, the sildren, like decomposed granite is a nice material. Mm. Well, that means, Craig, who understands your wizardry. It's a, okay. it's a finer material. Nice. 
So this will be a beautiful segue into what Craig's, uh, you know, potential um, thoughts are on investment after we learned about. So we went from Josh's house to residential real estate to commercial real estate to residential real estate upgrade to Craig, drop the hammer on what you're looking into do. Yeah, yeah, this is a hopeful, um, not a not a past sort of thing. Um, a couple different things, I guess, overlapping here from what I'm thinking of doing. The, the first is, uh, I guess, the, uh, the idea of having a vacation rental um, that one makes money, um, but two allows for personal use, which is like a, a nice uh, lifestyle thing. And then the second is taking advantage of California's ADU laws, which um, are now some of the most aggressive around. I know Portland, um, big and early adopter um, of ADUs, which just stands for, um, it's a you know, fancy planning and zoning board word um, that's getting pretty popular. It stands for accessory dwelling units, meaning on Generally, um, it's meaning on single-family properties, you can build a second dwelling unit. Um, you know, call it a guest house, um, call it a granny flat, whatever you like. Um, but it, you know, a fully functional second dwelling unit, meaning it can have a bathroom, kitchen, all the bells and whistles you'd have in a normal thing. Typically, has to be in some one way or another, sort of subservient to the the primary dwelling. You know, set behind it, smaller than it, etc. But um, you know, ADUs could be a whole other topic, so I won't go too much into the background, but um, pretty cool way to want to add supply to areas um, that need more housing supply. Um, undoes some of the um, sort of long running protections around single family zoning that promotes sprawl um, in some ways more expensive and uh, less inclusive uh, housing patterns. Um, so ADUs are cool. Um, and so combining those two concepts, I've been looking in some of the popular vacation rentals near LA, um, the two big ones being the, you know, the mountain and desert regions. So Big Bear area up in the mountains and Joshua Tree out in the desert as being a cool place um, and uh, to have a vacation rental. Um, it's been very hot, very competitive. So I'm not sure if I actually will end up able to close on something. Um, because of the purchasing market, the market for buying a place has is, is just been wild. Um, but the math on, on um, you know, the short-term rental looks pretty good. The big risk, um, I think, whenever I start thinking about the vacation rental stuff is the regulatory changes. Every municipality generally has control over short-term rentals and we're you know, at first Airbnb, you know, they really were like, you know, disrupting the system. Um, and they didn't have transient occupancy taxes, all the, all the different regulations that hotels had, and those have been creeping in more and more. Um, and then also bad vacation people, you know, bad visitors who are partying and being loud have really upset um, a lot of neighbors. So that's the big risk in vacation rentals, in my opinion, is, is regulatory. Um, and you often see the premium um, for the short-term rental, you know, if you think you're going to get 65% occupancy, meaning in a month, you're going to have 65% of your nights rented, um, at a pretty good rate, you know, could be a lot higher than what you could rent something for on a 30 day, like a normal basis, you know, what you could rent it for on a monthly basis for a 12 month lease. Um, so as I go through this, you know, I'm looking for a place where, uh, if I did, 
if I did run into some regulation that the monthly rate would still at least cover my expenses. I wouldn't expect to make any money on that way. Um, and the pricing generally doesn't, wouldn't support that with the price the houses are. Um, but that's the whole idea. And you know, the benefit of the accessory, accessory dwelling unit zoning is that you could also do a second one on a property in some places like Joshua Tree. And then you have two dwelling units on one property and you could almost think of the land as being free. Um, so the multiple, the return you're getting on that second unit, way better than the first. Uh, and it makes the whole investment really work. Mm. And you get a vacation home you can stay at when you feel like it. Yeah, it sort of cuts some of the managerial um, issues too. I'd be really nervous owning something like that in a place where I couldn't go personally take care of things and do, you know, annual or semi-annual deep cleans, you know, the sort of things that I wouldn't expect a vendor to do. Yeah. Yeah. What, what type of yearly profit are you looking to, would, would you deem it worth it, you know, if your calculations came out that you would need to have? Yeah, um, there's a lot of uncertainty on the, on the revenue side. Um, I, I guess I think of it two ways. Um, and I, and I don't have my numbers in front of me. I would love to share them at some point. Um, but the return on equity would be really strong. And it's, and it's really strong in the second one. That levers up the whole, uh, the whole return a lot. Um, right? The first house, say you're buying something that's like $350,000. Um, and you can rent it for X. And then you build the second house. Um, say it costs $200 a square foot. You already own the land. Um, and you can rent it for the same X. Um, so you're getting a, a lot better return on that cost um, than if you were to buy two separate properties. Um, and that's the nice thing about thinking about most single family houses is you buy a single family house and then you own this land um, and you're probably paying a lot more per square foot than it would cost you to build the second unit. So that second unit, uh, in terms of your return on cost, gives you a big boost. So that um, seems so to be so like max return. I'm not away. sure uh, exactly what the the figures were, um, but I do know I could be wrong by about 25 percent on my revenue, and still be comfortable. And if I was 50 percent wrong, it wouldn't cost me a lot of money, but I definitely wouldn't be making any money. But I mean, I don't know. That's how I live my entire life. So like, I definitely understand that like mentality. Look at it. Like if I eat shit by 50%, I can, I'm still surviving. If I eat shit by 25, I'm all right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Unless you don't have like confidence in your ability to kind of analyze the situation, you know, like that's a pretty good margin for error. I would say, you know, as far as taking, taking a leap into an investment. Yeah. And the one step further in terms of the downside protection was if like the very worst thing happened, you know, I would be able to support the mortgage on my income. So if for some reason I just couldn't find anybody to pay me anything, um, I could handle that. It would suck uh, yeah. because none of that money would be able to be saved, um, which it is now. Yeah, it would throw off other things. Yeah, it would be a big pain and I would want to sell it. Yeah, but then that's another option. Yeah, you, you know, the, the, the it's really funny right now, all the brokers 
um, because the property prices have increased so much um, in some of these areas since like, if you look at the longer time horizon, you know, we're talking like twice as much as 2017, maybe three times as much in some places. Um, but it's interesting to see what's happened on the revenue side too, where the rates people have consistently been getting. Um, you can look at sites like AirDNA that will give you a breakdown on what rates are, or you can just sort of survey, you know, what people are offering in the market. Um, I happen to have a know some people that also have rentals and so have been able to pick their brains a little bit about their rates and occupancy. Um, but on the income side, you know, the people who are buying properties still seem to make sense. Um, there's of course the anchor to, well, it's a lot more than it used to be. So maybe it's too much. I don't know. Maybe it, you know, that's, that's what's to be seen. I was sort of thinking when people went back to work, uh, some of the rates would fall. You know, I thought some of the work from home or work from anywhere, Stuff was driving the rates for Airbnb. Um, seems like so far that they haven't dropped. You know, once yeah. things have opened up, you know, especially in LA, I think you know it's close to an urban area. So the people who were maybe occasionally needing to be at their place of business but could spend more time away were taking advantage of that. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe all the all those folks have been replaced by people just excited to travel now that some restrictions are lifted. So still a lot to be seen, but that's why the the downside protection has been like top of mind. Do you, I don't know, and I don't need to start a whole other tangent. Do either of you guys have any questions kind of direct, more directly involved with yeah. real estate? Is stuff? it just a standard mortgage loan to get a rental property like that? Uh, you would not likely be able to qualify for like the primary residence loan. So you're going to be looking for a second residence um, since we would still be using it. Um, there's also some tax considerations about how many days you use it for exactly how you have to file. But on the loan side, um, you're looking for probably, you're gonna be, I'm gonna be in like the 10% down payment range. So not the three or the five, um, like you'd be able to do if it was your primary residence. But that's pretty much the only difference then, a little more down payment, um, interest rates, you should figure about the same yeah, I think those things will be the same. The big, one of the big things that in what I'm talking about and but ADUs in general is how do you finance the second component? Um, and that gets a little more tricky. There are some lenders that have decent confidence in that will give you a loan based on as completed value, right? Because the thing doesn't exist now. Um, and how so, much money you need, also, Craig? It's also difficult to pull the comps. Craig, how much um, money do you need for an ADU? I say like $200 a square foot is probably a, How big a you want it? reasonable estimate. So you're probably looking for a thousand square feet. So you're talking 200. Trying to get some equity partners, bro. I would take, uh, I would take that. Um, but yeah, so you, for, for that component, you need something that's kind of, that you can finance on an as completed value. And of course, you're, I'm being underwritten based on the income, not the future rent. So it would also have to have the income to support that loan. Where it gets really strange is, um, you know, people who make, has, makes all the sense in the, for them in the world to build an ADU, like somebody who bought a house 10 years ago in LA, um, or you, know, you have a recent purchaser in LA that has room uh, where the housing, cost of housing is very high. So they have this land, um, but they, and they could rent it all day long at a really good rate. Um, it would make total sense based on the cost. It would cost to build it. 
um, to build it and rent it, it'd be a good return. Um, but they can run into one or two problems. One being that they don't have uh, the income to support the, the loan to build that thing, you know, that 200 to 300 or you know, whatever it would be to build it here. Um, they don't have the income to support that loan and the future rent can't be underwritten. It's generally not the thing lenders do. You know, it doesn't fit the boxes they typically check. Um, so you could say, well, why don't they pull the money out of the equity of their house? Um, but it is also another common thing where people may not have the equity. So you could have the equity, but not the income. Um, and you can get sort of hamstrung in two ways. But that's a whole other thing. You're not gonna be able to sleep. He's sleeping, finally. Great. Um, no, that's super interesting because I definitely love that idea. And I think we could have a whole discussion on rental properties. Um, Cause I think something that would be really interesting. Well, I would love your take on Craig. It's like, we were looking at Costa Rica and like, you don't, there's no regulations really. So, once, yet. so like once you own the land, they don't like, as long as you have your water rights, you can build another property and another property, another property, as long as the flat's big enough to actually do so and rent it out. And you don't have to do any, there's no deciphering between residential and commercial, residential and rental. Right. Uh, yeah, would hesitate to call a short-term rental commercial a commercial use. That is like um, that is an angle that has been happening at like the state level, which is kind of okay. interesting. I just uh, really, I don't know. It seems commercial to me. Well, here's so there is forget exactly which states it were it was, but there was one state that said at the state level they said, okay, well, anything that produces income, that's a commercial use. So short-term rental, that's a commercial use. And therefore, if you have zoning that says a commercial use is not allowed in the zone, which all residential zones typically say, then you can't do any short-term rentals in any residential zone. It's just like flat out eliminates all residential zoned areas from short-term rentals. Super heavy-handed. Um, you know, it takes away the power from the community to sort of decide what they want, um, or they'd have to get an exception from the state. Then the other argument at the state level, it's when the courts went the other way, was, was yeah, sure, it makes money, of course, but like this isn't a restaurant, this isn't a salon, like, this isn't food production. Like this, the people using the property uses it the way any residential person would use the property. They cook food in the kitchen, they sleep in the bedroom, and they use the bathroom to take a shower. Like, what do you mean that's a commercial use? This is that's what people do in residences. Um, so that's that's played out in both ways. I'm I'm a fan of not of not calling it a commercial use. I guess now that you lay it out like that, though, like it makes a lot more sense that it's the second one because, like, I understand why my gym can't be put up in a neighborhood. They're like, dude, right. you have parking everywhere. You're fucking shit up. But like you just said, that makes it a lot more clear. It it's acting it's acting as a temporary residence for that person, and they're using it as a residence for such. I mean, right. and I guess in reality, that's how Costa Rica does it. We're like, yeah, you're going to pay a tax on your income, but like do whatever you want. Like it's your, it's your space. They're even a little bit more free with it. Cause we can, yeah, there's a whole stuff. history of land use policy in the U S that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming Costa Rica has just never um, developed as convoluted of zoning code has been ha that 
like has happened in the United States since, you know, the 50s and 60s. They have a singular issue to worry about. So it's kind of nice to do business there and it's water rights. Because that's the only thing they messed up infrastructure wise as they tried to expand it all. So like, mm -hmm. but compared to what you were dealing with or the things you talked to me about, I'm like, man, worry about one thing there. You, you have to worry about a lot more situations and flipping on that hat which i think is super interesting because i believe you told me like big bear maybe it was or there's communities up there where you know you people could have bought a rental property and then they changed the law and now these people are kind of stuck on a rental property that they can't rent yeah that's well that's been threatening to happen okay. in the community of big bear lake itself got it okay, okay that's what it was so they, they have a city council who's been going over and voting on amendments that would be very restrictive to short-term rentals um but just across the street in some places of Big Bear, you could still be in the zoning of the county. So you could be in the, the county's jurisdiction, uh, which has different rules. So as I've been looking around for myself, San Bernardino County is, covers both Joshua Tree and Big Bear, and they cover a huge region. I mean, the counties here in Southern California are massive. Um, and so part of, part of the advantage, too, of being in, I think, the county zoning is they're going to have a hard time being ham-fisted um, with the way they want to restrict or regulate short-term rentals because they cover a whole bunch of really popular rental areas that have historically been vacation areas for people from Orange County and LA. Yes. So uh, where you have a, a tiny community like Big Bear where they have their own city council and some of their own zoning um, power and control, they get to make a very narrow decision I think the, at the county level, they're, they're not going to make as narrow decisions or be as draconian or restrictive. Um, there's too many stakeholders that would be opposed, I think. That makes sense. It sounds like you haven't really done any research. You don't really know what you're talking about is what I'm hearing. Yeah, something like that. No, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I guess the uh, the bidding, of course, I said the bidding was tough. But just as an example, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, bid, I went to look at a place it's so under 300,000. I was like, great. It was like 290. Um, and it was on the market for like three days and there were like 21 offers and it went for like 400,000 cash. So I wasn't close with my 300,000 bid. Mm -hmm. And I did allow for a 10,000 uh, gap on the appraisal. So then my appraisal could come under under my purchase price. They probably said four grand cash wave inspection. Yeah. We don't need to see anything. Just here's they, your money. It's in a briefcase. Yeah, they said, nice try. You were like 19th out of 21, so. Dude, I don't know, though. I feel like that's the market right now, right? Like, it's just absolutely bananas. And like, yeah, like who is doing this? Dude. I'll buy this house. I don't have to look at it. No, no inspection. It's fine. Just give it to me right now. No inspection, cash, no, no appraisal necessary. Yeah. I mean, man, it just means that like, Whoever's reaching in their pocket to do 400 grand cash doesn't feel their pocket get any lighter when they do so. Yeah, it must be, right? They're like, ah, this could go bad. We could need to scrape this, but who cares? Could have black mold, anthrax. We won't know. Sell Lambo. <laughs> Sell one of our cars. Um, no, I love this. This is good. I don't want to, I don't want to make sure our first episode doesn't go too long. Does anybody have any kind of um, some good wrap-up thoughts because I feel like we have a bunch of branched out conversations um, and fun things we can discuss now from this. But anybody have final thoughts of us uh, millennial idiots? No? Okay. I don't intend this to be as focused on property all the time. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny because what what was our prompt? It was like, what's a major financial thing that's been on your mind you've done lately? And it's all property. While we're in like the middle of the biggest like property, uh, like hot market, like right. in the last twenty years. And that's probably not an accident, right? Like that that those things. Well, okay. So like, here's cool. Let's, let's maybe people talk about, we can, we can fire off a few things. And so then if anybody sees this, they can comment, you know, a few other topics they would want to talk about. So I can tell you two other financial decisions I've made are put money into crypto and uh, I'm starting another business. So starting businesses or crypto would be something we can always blab about. Um, Jacob, what are some other things that you've put money into or made investments in? Well, two others that I was sort of thinking of were uh, thinking about talking about today were, um, the decision of if we wanted to sell our second car um, and some of the things that went into that, some of the insurance considerations that we're thinking about with that. Um, so that's one. And then the other is just about uh, thinking about shifting the uh, my contributions to my 401k between Roth and traditional. Boom. Josh, what do you got? I bought more VTI in my TD Ameritrade account. Um, a couple of weeks ago. Buying some index? Some uh, total stock index. Some sexy index. What else you got? And let's see. Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard because I'm so boring. I guess I, I put some money in um, to my crypto account. I bought some and then I left some and just like USD coin, just mm-hmm. APY at um, 0.15% going strong. But just like looking, like looking for an opportunity, like if something dips or something I'm researching sounds enticing, I can jump on it. Something dips. Did you miss the dip? No, no, no. It happened right after you told me to buy. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's fine. Look, here's my favorite part about crypto. And then watch Craig is just look at the year, the all-time lows for the cryptos year over year. Even if you hit the all-time lows, you're still good. Craig, what else you got? Two other ones. Yeah, I guess other personal financial stuff. Um, I've been make, getting my HSA invested. I'm a big fan of HSAs. And then my wife's Maddie's IRA. Um, we've been getting that situated after we rolled it over uh, from a 401k from her, from her prior employer. Okay. Um, You're using your HSA as an investment vehicle, not, not using it for uh, healthcare? Yeah, I, uh, my custodian is called Lively. Um, and I have a TD Ameritrade. They're partnered with TD Ameritrade for the, on the investment side, uh, which is really nice, which is the reason I switched to them as my custodian. I was with Bank of America before, um, where I had a, options, my investment options were a couple of mutual funds, um, but I wanted a little more freedom. Um, so I have a, a fully self-directed account um, for my HSA, which is really nice. That's sexy. I don't remember if it was IRA what type of IRA it was. Did you guys hear that Peter Thiel got his initial, uh, he bought his initial Facebook stock or his founding Facebook stock inside of his Roth IRA, I believe. So he made $5 billion and paid no taxes on it. It's like, it was like the most, you look it up, you guys have to, someone have to see it, but it was like the, just the most insanely genius thing. It's like, I don't know what, what year it was, but he invested, he like got it for so cheap. He bought it with his IRA and just paid, like, that's just insane. We're all trying to get like a, you know, retirement amount. Dude avoided like a billion dollars in taxes through his IRA. Um, Cool. So we got some of these topics we can talk about next time. And um, 
Yeah, so we're millennial idiots. We're dumb. We don't know what we're talking about. Don't take our advice or listen to us. None of everything we say is financial advice. It's just what a bunch of idiots do uh, in their free time to make more money.